Smash. Smash. Mighty White. Now, Mighty White is a, well, he is a musician. He is, uh, he makes beats for rappers or, and he does collaborations with people all across the world. He writes music for movies, TV shows, commercials, and he is successful at it. Most notably, he has done the music for The Blind Side, that movie where Sandra Bullock uh, adopts that football player dude, and um, I guess he's a Baltimore Raven or something. Also, uh, he has done the music for Keeping Up with the Kardashians, I believe. He's done music for Reebok and other big national chains out there. So this guy knows what the fuck he's doing, and he drops knowledge. And this is this has been this was like one of the best podcasts ever especially when it comes to knowledge. Um, I got to meet Mighty White through my cousin, Josh, who um, is um, he's an in-law of my cousin's. And I met Mighty White a long time ago at a 4th of July party, and he had a CD with him. And he was like, yeah, I make beats. And we were talking about Reason. And um, he doesn't remember that, but it's weird things I remember. But... Um, he he was telling me about how he was sampling an Al Green song and um yeah, I think I still have his CD somewhere like somewhere deep and buried in my my locker in San Diego, my um what the hell, storage locker. Anyways, um Mighty White, this is a great conversation and so that's coming right up here in a few minutes. Um, I got to go see a concert this last week. I got to see Lettuce and Galactic. And I've seen Galactic before. They played at this festival here in Ohio. I saw them back in like 2001 or two or something. Um, it's called Hookahville. And they were amazing then. But then I saw them. Uh, fuck, where were they? It was at the St. Andrews Hall in uh, Detroit. I believe it was last Saturday couple days ago and i mean what a incredible experience i mean my god i mean it, it could have also been the copious amounts of hallucinogens i ingested before going into the show but it was one of those shows that was life-changing it uh i mean the musicianship and the care and just how elaborate their shows were both galactic but especially lettuce i mean my god they fucking they really did me in good they got super psychedelic i mean the show was so good it made me want to be a better person i just want to be a better human being and i was tripping dick so that that was great. I, I suggest you know I haven't done that in a long time. Gone to a concert where I was like really really high on uh, hallucinogens and I missed it. I missed it. And by the end I was dancing and they were doing funk and then they broke down some like trap music where the saxophone and the trumpets doing like boop 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 boop. boop. 
and the drums just start hitting hi-hats and shit. Everybody in the fucking whole place was like doing their club dance because there's like your funk dance where your hips are all down in it. You're moving around. And then there's like the club dance where you're just like sort of bouncing up and down like do, 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 do. Anyways, that's a bad representation of what they were doing because what they were doing was mind-blowing and expanding. And it just put a lot of things in perspective. It's just... I don't know. You know how like music sort of sorts out sort it music sorts out those wavelengths in your head that language and words will just never be able to work out. It it just it just set a lot of things. It was like an alignment, like like a mind alignment. Like going to a chiropractor and getting your back straightened out, but but for your mind. And that's what lettuce did for me. And drugs. Lettuce and drugs. <laughs> anyways um they are on tour right now so if you get a chance to see them see them i think in may they're going going to be a part of this uh tribute to herbie hancock they're playing down in uh, is it new orleans i think it is new orleans but it's gonna be lettuce snarky puppy um the motet i don't know maybe galactic too and I think Herbie Hancock's sitting in with Snarky Puppy. I don't know. I saw some flyer for it. It just sounds like the most amazing show ever. So, um, you know, if you're down there and you're listening, check that out. That ought to be a good show. Maybe think about taking some hallucinogens. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should go out and take hallucinogens. All I'm saying is that... Uh, for some people, hallucinogens are very therapeutic and um, or recreational. They're both for me that night. I saw some old friends from high school that night. That was fun. Some weird hippie smelled like uh, straight boo boo, like like for real, like he pooped his pants or something, and then came to the concert. It was like bo, smelly dread hair, and like poopy. Like, like, and he was standing right in front of me and like so close to me. And I was in that moment of tripping where I didn't, I felt I found my place and I didn't want to move, even though I desperately wanted to get away from this hippie. It was just so crowded. I didn't want to like fight the crowd. I wanted to just stay in one spot. So I, I mean, he was tall too. And his dreads were like flapping in my face. And I'm just standing there all like freaked out. And then I just closed my eyes and sort of just let the music take me. Um, yeah, you can check out my Instagram and see a, like a video of lettuce. Uh, I got some other videos. I, I think I'll post those sometime. But you can check out some of the show. And um, oh yeah, and then the hippie offered me. He was like, "You want some gum?" <laughs> and like it was a bit. It first of all, it wasn't gum. It was Starburst. Um, but. I recognized very quickly that he was offering me drugs. And so he held up this pack of Starburst and was like, you want some gum? And I was like, no thanks, man. I brought my own. And I just went back to space and, and he just like moved away through the crowd and disappeared. And I only assume he was dispensing drugs to everyone. Uh I got to go downstairs into the shelter. It's been a long time since I've been to the St. Andrews Theater. I got to go downstairs to the shelter, and I had to go to the bathroom between shows. So Galactic played. It was an amazing set. Their singer came out and did this like weird falsetto thing where she held the phone, the microphone down by her diaphragm, 
and they had put on some delay on her voice and she was doing some oh 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry everybody <laughs> that you had to hear that but <clears throat> it was definitely awesome and um yeah i went downstairs i sort of started spacing out down there and i, I mean like the chaos of a crowd at a concert is a little overwhelming and as soon as you go downstairs there's other bathrooms down there and it was just like this really chill lounge and i sort of just stayed down there and they were playing some like fkj type shit and i was just vibing i just actually started dancing in the middle of like the floor just by myself was able to go to the bar and get a glass of water it was nice it was a nice little break and then i finally had to brave it and head back up and i climbed through the crowd I mean, my God, it was massive. And I found my cousin. I went with my cousin. And, um, oh, my God, it was just crazy. And then I thought it was a good idea to take more mushrooms. So I ate more. And then, like, I started coming out of it. I was, like, peeking through Galactic. And then I came out of it. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, 10 minutes into <laughs> into lettuce, I'm like, oh, fuck, I took more shit and off i went again so um it was good it was good i know i just sort of went on sort of a long rant there so let's get to mighty white of course you can write the show at we speak english good at gmail.com you can check out the barren wasteland that is the website we speak english good.net net not com net uh, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. So let's get into it. This is Mighty White, and he's a mighty good talent and a mighty nice guy. Oh yeah, one more thing I wanted to tell you folks. Uh, we are going to listen to some music by Mighty White, but it's going to be at the end. It's been working out a little better when I play the music at the end. Instead of breaking away in the middle, although I'm not going to change the breakaway in the middle. It just didn't happen in this conversation. It just didn't come up. So um, we're going to listen to some music and then we're going to just be out. So no outro this time. So be good to your fellow human beings. HJ's for everybody. I'll see you guys next time. Enjoy Mighty Boy. Not too hot. Okay, cool. Right, no. let's kill I, I I fucking for like podcasts and shit. You're supposed to like jack everything up to the roof because because people you, are listening mostly in like earbuds and shit, and you want it to be like. What are you using to edit your? Material? I use nine. Yeah, really? Yeah, live nine. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. But um. So you're familiar with this format? I am. As soon as I saw the little blocks and shit, I was like, oh okay. Oh yeah, I'm. I made the conversion about a year ago. I was a Pro Tools. Well, I was a performer guy for. Seven or eight years. Then I made the jump to Pro Tools. Ran that for about four years. And uh, digital performer, huh? Digital performer. I'm old, man. Yeah, I'm very old. <laughs> it's just like man. Okay. Well, I was. I started uh, producing and rec- well. So let me back it up. Uh, I never thought I had a chance to make a career in music. So I figured, why not be an engineer? That yeah. way, I could work in music. Right. So um, I came in when ADATs were still prevalent. Oh shit! Okay, so yeah, just so running those old tapes, syncing up four ADATs. Damn. And, yeah. So, um, 
yeah, I got an internship at a recording studio pretty much when everything was going from ADAT to computers. So for maybe the first three months of my internship, that's what I did is I dumped ADAT into, into digital, digital performer. Form. Yeah. So I got to learn performer pretty well. Well, yeah, it's funny how, like, what, whatever you learn on, that's kind of like what you gravitate to, right? Sure. You're that's like, what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And if it supports the workflow, then yeah. Right. So, yeah, let me get this uh, meter turned off. Let me get one more top of this. Oh, you know what? Let me go shut the other phone off. Okay. Um, I'm down here in Mighty White Studio checking out the scene. So he actually has a, a two-monitor system working on a uh, looks like an iMac. <clears throat> he has a, just a regular flat-screen TV as a second monitor. Uh, he's working with a UA interface, which um, I want one of those. Um he has a MPC over here. What is that? A machine. I'm just surrounded by gear. It's very nice. He has like acoustic guitars, electric drum kit, Rollins. I talk about gear on the show I sometimes. Gear. <laughs> gear. Oh my gosh, let's geek on gear. Well, you know, the funny thing is, like, I, I couldn't really tell you, like, exactly what I like or not like. Although I can kind of. Um, like the UA, that thing fucking is dope. Like I want seriously, since I got that, I try not to use anything but the UA plugins. Yeah. They're so good. Oh yeah, the plugins are the shit. It's too. so good. Yeah. Then you see the VMS. I don't know if you've used the VMS. I'm not. Yet. See, that's what I'm not even sure about. That. So this is by Slate. So before mm -hmm. I was using the Universal Audio stuff, it was all Slate. Okay. Slate shit is amazing. Okay. Uh, this basically right here is just a super flat response microphone, large diaphragm, cardioid condenser. What? What is it? A slate? Yep. It's a slate. Okay. Slate. And uh, it goes into their proprietary preamp, which is actually, it looks basic, but yeah. there's a lot of features. Okay. Uh, which then goes into the slate virtual mix rack. And at this point, I think there's three collections of virtual tube microphones. Okay. And it's amazing. Yeah. It sounds funny. Yeah, if you don't have $140,000 to spend on a mic locker, <laughs> it's definitely worth it. So where were you working as uh, uh, as an engineer? So my internship can was... Can we kill that? Is that it's, cool? it's shutting off right oh, now. Oh, it's shutting yeah, out. It's got a, that's it's, okay. That's okay. We can just uh, bullshit if you want while that burns out. No, it's fine. Totally, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's noisy. I don't... I mean, that's a good thing about these kind of mics. They... They generally just pick up what's in front of them. Sure. Not like yeah, we can hang out. It's almost done. That's fine. So where 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 was the studio? Oh, it was uh, downtown. It was called Audio Matrix. Um, okay. It was a partitioned studio, so there was an upstairs, and what they did upstairs was mostly commercial work, mm. jingles, voiceover, that type of thing. Oh, sweet. Then in the basement was the performance studio, so bands, hip hop acts, things of that nature. Okay. So, part of my in internship... Um, they didn't have any bleed issues there? Uh, I think basically the way they scheduled things, it was such that ah. performance recordings took place at night. Yeah. And all of the commercial stuff took place during the day. Because, you know, yeah. you're not going to have a band come in at 9 o'clock in the morning <laughs> <Yeah>. to track. <laughs> at least not in Toledo. Maybe uh, out west or in New York with, where rates are lower in the morning. But, uh, no, everything downstairs was, uh, you know, that's where I got my hands on to Performer and ADATs. Everything upstairs was pretty much in the box, mm. which is what, you know, what I work with. Everything's in the box. Right. So in the box is like, um, just in a computer, not really 
like using virtual synths and like drum machines within a program like Ableton Live 9 here. Right. I don't have much external gear outside of the interface and the mic pre's. Everything else is a MIDI controller. Uh, and then I have, well, of course, monitors just for sketching things out. But uh, yeah, as you can see, that makes for a very compact space. It does. You can have a nice control room for not too much money and you can be competitive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you you kind of that's where you got your feet wet with with recording is uh, at that studio. Yes, and then you sort of broke away from that because I met you before a long time ago at actually Juan Josh's parties. Okay, he lived out in Bay Shore. Okay, was it the Fourth of July party? I think so. <laughs> yeah, and me and you kind of just went to the side because I was just learning Reason, and you I think you were already in. Oh like, yeah, face first in the Reason, and I think we were talking about. Um, um, licensing rights for an Al Green sample. Oh God! Yeah, and so I still have your, I still have your original. Like it's somewhere. I know I still have it, but it's your original like demo. Yeah. And it had the click tracks on it and shit. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we've met kind of before. Just well, know. nice to re meet you. Yeah. Pleasure. I don't remember. That's okay. Apparently, That's okay. there was absinthe going around at that party. <laughs> Homemade absinthe. <laughs> Luckily, might, I wasn't driving. It might have been supplied for me, actually, or maybe not. I don't know. There was sometimes... There was it may lot, have been you. There was a lot of absence kind of in that time period just because me and my friend were just sort of... Yeah, I think that was you ...making stuff, and I was really fucked up. <laughs> that was the time... <clears throat> we were at the party, and the cops come because of all the fireworks, mm-hmm. and then I shot off one more as he's talking to the cop. <laughs> And Josh comes stories like, stop fuck! I told you to stop fucking doing that. And, you know, Josh could kind of like get explosive oh, yeah. anger. <laughs> but anyway. He's quick to rage. He is. That's okay. He rages out. But yeah, whatever. We all have our things. Um, wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah. So yeah. as you can see, I have a propeller head dongle here. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Which is not plugged in because I don't really use it anymore. Yeah, um, you kind of moved away from propeller head. Yeah, and it wasn't really because... Uh, you know, there's only so much stuff you can learn. Yeah. And, you know, Propellerhead was advancing. I was learning Ableton and Pro Tools. And obviously I used machine uh, and battery. And there's just only so much time you can dedicate. It, it, when you do what I do, you have to be able to turn out a product in a certain amount of time. Yeah. Or you're not viable. Well, why don't you tell people what you actually do? Uh, I, my main source of income is writing what I call catalog music mm-hmm. Uh to sell for licensing. So basically what I do on any given day is I'll come down here and just create. And it's all dependent on my mood. So some days I'm in a mood to make hip hop. Some days I'm in the mood to make pop music. Some days I'm in the mood to make theatrical cinematic pieces. Yeah. Um, and I write and I write and I, you know, catalog. And I've got a network of agents I work with from New York to Boston to Nashville to Los Angeles. Everybody does something different. Um, I've had music placed in movies, TV shows, Tons of commercials, video games, uh, stuff at the New York Museum of Art. The Chicago Bulls have bought stuff for their cheerleading tryouts. Gosh, it's uh, the list is kind of long at this point. I've been doing this for nine years professionally. Yeah. And before that, I did it as an amateur for maybe another four years. Wow. Meaning I'd go work a full-time job at a right. factory, come home and spend another six or eight hours in the studio. Yeah. Um, but anymore, my 
main day or, you know, a normal day for me would just be come down here and either work on something like I've got pulled up here. This is something that's been in process for a few days now. I'm kind of stuck on it. But oh, look, yeah. Can we hear it? Yeah. I don't know how hot this is going to be. I don't know. In relationship to the microphone. Let's that's just okay. See. We'll just. This is all in pieces right now. Oh, got to let my hard drive catch up. Yeah, so this is, uh, I've been working with a guy in France since May. He and I worked on a, a Solstice record. Solstice is a rapper from uh, Columbia, Maryland. We worked on a record with him maybe five or six years ago called Beyond Borders, where he worked with producers from all around the world. And uh, we ended up becoming friends and sort of pen pals, email pals over the years. And just kind of like, hey, what are you working on? What are you using? Type of thing. So. Mm -hmm. I made the jump to Ableton, and uh, he expressed, you know, I want to make the jump to Ableton. And at that point, I think I had a month of just dedicated learning. And I said, you know, do it. Let me know if you have any questions. Mm. So I was walking him through some of the basics of Ableton. Yeah. And then at one point we got to, well, how do you make a, how do you share files? Because, you know, with Pro Tools, you just, you know, right-click, duplicate, yeah. and send the whole file with all the audio files. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. the PTX file. So I was basically showing him how to make uh, Ableton packs. He sent me something, and I opened it. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Do you mind if I work on it? And, if, and that's kind of where everything started. And that was last May. So uh, this right here, what I'm showing you on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash one, the number four, another music, is what we've been doing since May. And it's almost like, I wouldn't say it's boutique pop, but there's a wide range of styles and subsets contained within this. And what we've been doing is pitching this for licensing opportunities. Oh, okay, nice. So, same thing I do, you know, one on yard by myself, but uh, just with someone else. Um, so that's actually what I'm gonna show you here, but it's still in pieces, but it's gonna be nice. So, I'm not sure how well the mics will pick this up, but. It's all right. Well, here, I'll just do this. That's the verse I'm not really in love with. This is what I built yesterday. I'll turn this up a little bit and I can point this this way. We can always re-record too, if you want. Detached, but that's like my day. <laughs> you come down here, and you know, I might go to bed or quit working for the day, and I might have something like this, and then come down and build something like this. Yeah. Write this part, and then scrap everything, and just keep. Go. Yeah, and and it's actually labeled song. new song question yeah, mark question it's, mark. It's pretty good. <laughs> you so you get, I mean, like, and it worked perfectly okay as just sort of like maybe a bridge or something, but like, so you'll you'll just be like. Um, 
well, fuck that. I'm just gonna go from here. You kind of you just sort of kind of follow the energy and where the, where the juice is. Sure. And we were talking earlier. I don't even know if we were recording. It's uh, I'm not particularly talented on any one instrument, but I do have an ear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of material that ends up coming out as finished is stuff that was in one way or another a smaller iteration of a bigger idea. Yeah. And you just got to take what works and what makes sense and what makes you excited. Because if you're not excited as a writer and somebody's producing their own material, then why do you, why do you even do it? And, and it comes out. You can kind of hear it. Like it comes out as something that's sort of drab. You know? Do you, do you like when you're working on a piece where you kind of get stuck? Do you do you kind of feel like the energy gets sucked out of you? Like, or do you just keep working through that? Uh, I I would say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because actually, that's what I was going through with this piece yesterday. Yeah. Um, as you can see, everything down here's. I know it's hard for the listener to, I'm, I'm making reference to uh, a window in Ableton, but everything down here was added yesterday. Yeah. And everything above that is old. I mean, it's like a week old. Right. And when you ask about getting energy sucked out, yeah, definitely. You'll sit down and you'll beat yourself up and you'll try to think of something that works and you just, ugh, you get bored and tired. And yeah. What do you do with it at that point? So, but to be honest with you, um, when your job is to create at some point you have to relinquish that part of you that's like that's not great i'm gonna start something else because i've already got several hours into this yeah and there's a gem in there somewhere right it's just you know you kind of have to put your head down and dive through the wave yeah or you're gonna get pushed way back and you're never gonna get out into the water have you uh, have you read that book i was just talking about this with jeff stewart who i talked to yesterday uh, is uh, the book uh the uh, War of Art. Oh, yeah, it's right here on my desktop. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you know, it's fun. Boom. It's funny. Uh, so have you ever read through that whole thing? or? Uh, just, yeah, a couple times. It's like, I think that book, I think that book is, um, was like one of the essential things that kind of put shit in perspective where it's like, it's like, oh, it's like, this is my job. You got to look at it as your job. And, you have to fight that 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 laziness that comes with i mean that you know as an artist like you get branded as lazy for some reason especially if fuck it i don't know have you had that experience where it's like i'm a musician i make music and they're just like oh okay and then like you meet someone like a few years later are you still doing that music thing it's like yeah i'm actually paying my bills with it and so i don't know you kind of get there's kind of a stigma that where you looked at as a musician as lazy but Anyways, I, I diverted from what I was trying to say. It's like <laughs> fighting the resistance is what he says. It's like fighting that urge to Absolutely. Just sort of stay in bed or just watch TV. And it's or, internal resistance, which is yeah. the most difficult to overcome. Right. Because you're fighting yourself. Right. It's like, I mean, it's the same thing going to the gym. It's like, fuck. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, you're doing your mental workouts here. And so do you, if you... Um, so have you just been doing this one song for oh, like a week? No, no. This so is, you'll jump around. Yeah, I usually have three or four things going at a time. Um, while I was working on this, I was working for, um, I'm guessing it was a pharmaceutical. So nine times out of ten, I know what I'm working on when I'm doing something mm. that's commercial. Uh, the, the random one out of ten times, the agency might have signed a non-disclosure, so I don't know what I'm working on. I just have the brief from which to work. So. Uh -huh. I did a commercial piece uh, while I was working on this. I was working on some stuff for my band Star Sleeper. Um, and then actually I've got so much stuff in process, it's insane. Um, yeah, I, I feel like for me that's one of the ways to defeat the, the resistance. Um, 
is to stay like have multiple things. Yeah, going have on different things going on. Yeah, uh, because you know everything's in. It's like most other things where you're trying to progress and you're trying to do something, and some things don't have a metric. There's no way to measure progress. Mm-hmm. It's just discipline. Put your head down and do it. And one day you're like, oh, that's really good, and now I have a song, and the rest yeah. of it's easy. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. there's some days where there's projects where I've got several days into it and I still wonder is this good enough you know am I, am I wasting my time yeah um yeah gosh I, this is a, just a commercial piece I did while I was working on this So I had something to distract me. I had something to work on that I could be productive. And that's one of the things I've found that is really awesome is when you're able to complete something, going back to another project that may be holding you up um, is encouraging. It, it definitely makes you think, I can do this. This yeah. is not impossible. I just haven't found the key Yeah, in the nine years deep, you're still questioning yourself. Can I do this? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, if you had, had you been here yesterday for the interview and I was working on this, it would have been a, a, a much different mood because I was frustrated. And <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm still frustrated. So No, I understand. And, and you said this this piece you're working on here is just a collab with the guy in France? Yep, that okay. is correct. But so there's no real deadline for it. It's just sort of... No, this is really just stuff that he and I do. We just share work mm-hmm. while we work on other things. Um, and it all just lends itself to the idea of have several things going at once yeah because it's better to like go well i don't really have any ideas for this right now i'm gonna work on something else rather than go well i don't have any ideas for this right now i'm gonna go play rocket league (laughs) just gonna watch tv okay yeah or listen to some music online so when you get like a deadline um well can can you just walk me through how you'll get like an assignment Sure. Uh, Like, for instance, this commercial. Well, for the most part, uh, things don't have a deadline in the sense that you have time to work on anything. Most of the stuff that I work on as per television and film is we need it by the end of the day. So if you don't have something already complete that fits that listing, Uh there's no way you're going to be able to create something from scratch, which is one of the mistakes I made very early on. Like I would have, uh, you know... You get a couple placements, uh, you start working with different agencies and supervisors, and they're sending you opportunity after opportunity, and you're just, oh my God, how do I you know, manage my time and work? There were days I'd spend 14 hours in the studio trying to hit two deadlines, <laughs> and you know the material's mediocre, because anything that's worth doing takes time. Um, and it took me a while to figure out the stuff that comes through, you don't have to swing on everything. You can't swing on everything. Um, so that's probably 70% of what I do is... So so you have... A, so the mistake was not having a library of stuff already exactly. in the can. I was waiting for work to come in, mm. people to ask me for things, and then I'd make it. So what was your approach then to kind of building a library? Started with what I was good at. I was a hip-hop producer for years and exclusively hip-hop. That's all I did. Um... And I quickly realized sample-based hip-hop was not going to make any money yeah. because good luck clearing samples if you don't have an attorney or a team <laughs> uh, or money. Yeah. So I was making sample-free hip-hop, 
and that's how I got my foot in the door. Um, and so, so, like, what was that? How did that happen? Right place, right time. Oh. Uh, I was working with um, an artist in Washington, D.C. called Wade Waters, which consisted of Solstice and Jesus, and I really loved their material. Um, but everything they did was sample-based. Mm. And I was, you know, trying to build a name as, you know, a hip-hop producer that doesn't use samples. Right. So I reached out. I was like, man, I love your guys' work. Is there any chance I can get some acapellas and I can make some original music? And they were like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So I got some acapellas, made a couple of original pieces around their acapellas, and they were like, wow, that's really good. Holy crap, can you do more? Yeah. And of course, my answer was yes. Yes. Because, <laughs> you know, as somebody that makes music, the next best thing is to find somebody that does vocals. Mm. So we did a few more pieces. Um, right place, right time. They were pitching some music for, I believe it was a TV show. That music super reached out to me. I was like, wow, your instrumentals are great. Is there any chance you could send me more and I'd have access to them for future work? Yeah. And yeah, for sure. That's yeah. what you wait for and that's what you want. Right. Um, after that, it's a matter of time and consistency. You have to be able to deliver on time and give them exactly what they need. Yeah. So just a couple years of trudging and low-paying licensing jobs. <laughs> You make a name, um, music supervisors move, they work on other projects, they remember you. So you get to work on, you know, a supervisor might go from a TV show to a movie to, you know, some type of online content to ultimately an advertising agency that sells music for multiple things. Um, and that's basically how I built my career was um, working with somebody. I did a couple of TV shows. They went and worked on a movie. We did a movie. They went and uh, was replacing music for video game creators, did a couple video games and you know you just meet people along the way they work with people they get to know your name yeah they know that they can ask you for something and if you say yes they're gonna get what they need when they need it and it's gonna work mm -hmm. yeah that yeah for sure man so yeah you definitely have to have the follow-through <laughs> to, to build your name so like coming from your family did you have a lineage of music absolutely not no nope. <laughs> on uh, neither side uh actually music wasn't even uh, encouraged. So when I, I decided I wanted to play guitar, and my parents were like, fine, buy yourself a guitar. Uh, I'm 11 years old. <laughs> I have no source of income. I had, I think at that time, $2 a week uh, in allowance, mm. and that was for taking out trash and cutting grass. Yeah. Was it a big lawn, by the way? Uh, it wasn't... <sighs> I don't really know the square footage. I was pretty, well, young. It, but it, we had. A, I, we lived in Maryland, and our backyard wasn't flat. Like you live out here in Ohio, everything's right, flat. Right, right. Um, my backyard was probably a forty degree angle. Oh, okay. So you had to cut it sideways. Yeah, and it so, was it was long. It was deep. So so either way, it was hard work for like for nothing. Fucking, yeah, for slave labor. Yeah, wages. pretty much. <laughs> No, but I spent like a which, year. What are kids for? What are kids for? You know, I, I think I saved my allowance for a year, which was oh, like one hundred and four bucks. You know, I'd go out and shovel snow when I could. I was just, you know, trying to collect money wherever I could, and I bought a guitar. Yeah. And I remember it was like a three-quarter size guitar because yeah. I couldn't afford anything else. Nice. Um, yeah. And a cousin of mine that lived here in Toledo sent me a little tiny practice amp, and that's where all of it started. But my parents were not supportive. Even into college, I started out going to school for aerospace engineering. Um, well, my parents were like, you know, music's not a career. You're not going to do anything yes. in music. So that was embedded in me, and... Uh, I just kind of accepted it. Like, that's fine. It can be my hobby anyway. Right. Um, then in college, it was just really hard to find a group of people where we could all get our schedules to work. 
You know, because you're going to school full time, you're working 30 hours a week, and you have homework. Right. And I was commuting to Ohio State, so I was driving from Ohio State to Delaware, Ohio. Oh, okay. So it was impossible, really. So music kind of stalled for me for about a year and a half, two years. Um, Then I ended up deciding I wanted to learn how to use studio equipment, because I figured if I know how to use studio equipment, I can make my own music. Yeah. Don't need a band. Right, right. Fuck them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's how I feel What I'm working just on my own stuff I'm just like fuck that I don't I don't need you <laughs> you don't need the drama I, and the opinions yeah it's like being married to fucking four or five other dudes it's like ugh um, but but you know I'll like outsource I'm like I need a flute okay I'll pay you for a flute you know sure but um, when did you sort of start like I mean because you started with guitar when did you start like fucking around with like piano and that wasn't until college oh, okay so you didn't even have access to it um gosh the first time i was able to sit down with like a digital audio workstation was like my sophomore year of college oh, okay and it melted my face you know, i'm <laughs> in this room and i got mixers and i've got tape machines so i'm excited about that um gosh man what was it the um shoot kurtzweil Chris Wilde had yeah, this like, like amazing keyboard. And I, I'm, with the with the two little sliders that didn't have like the with the modulation wheels, but they I weren't wheels. Don't remember necessarily, but I remember like Kurtz Wilde. Just the brand was foreign to me. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and I thought yeah, keyboards. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, whatever they sell at Radio Shack. Right? <laughs> Radio so Shack that's how much of a noob I was. And then I learned, you know, about setting loops and using you know these digital audio workstations, and it was just. Uh, you know, for somebody that plays video games and loves music, yeah, it was kind of like, oh my god, oh, two words. Collide. This is so amazing. <laughs> yeah, and there were nights I would sit in the the music lab like two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's cool. That was offered to you. It was awesome. Place. Yeah, yeah that's so amazing. Uh, anyway, that was at Ohio State. No, that was actually UT. Oh, okay. So I came to to UT sophomore year, um, and while I was trying to figure out what I really wanted to do, because at that point I realized aerospace engineering is so boring. <laughs> There is no, there's guys. I mean, it's great money and it's very secure work, but there's guys that will work on the same part of an aircraft or a rocket for seven, eight years. I'm like, oh my God, I'd rather mop floors. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we came to UT. My wife's family lives here and um, I was trying to figure out what to do. So I was taking some elective courses just to kind of knock stuff off. And there were, there was an electronic music course and a recording techniques course. And that's how I ended up taking courses related to music. So learning how to use keyboards and computers to make music. Yeah. And of course, this is when my parents are like, what are you doing? This is, <laughs> you know, this is bullshit. You're not going to make any money. Yeah. Which they were right for like four or five years out of college. Yeah. You know, I had a factory job yeah. and I would still come home and make music. Right. So you just have to be willing to bust your ass and look like an idiot. Put a, yeah. Listen to everybody tell you you're not going to do it. Well, that's, that's uh, you know, I've been, like, really mulling that shit over lately of, like, how kids are just sort of, were brought up in a household where, you know, you look to your parents for guidance and trust and love or whatever, and they're sitting there telling you, like, art is a, you know, either they're telling you don't do art or they're saying, well, you can do art, but go and do something that so you can fall back on when you inevitably right. fail as yeah. an artist. Because it's expected. Right, right. You're expected to fail as an artist. But then we have this, like, disproportionate, blown-out view of what a success in art is. You know, like, the, people see success in art as being on Rolling Stones cover or 
or you know million dollars and bitches money weed you know like sure. the whole thing this this really blown out proportion whereas you can find a life in art that where you, like yourself where you are making music you're doing what you love to do and you're making a living and you own a house and like you have your own studio and you have equipment and you're able to do things and go on vacations and shit um i think that that's sort of left out of the equation and especially for parents who are raising kids who are like telling them no because i mean i had the same shit you know like my mom especially my mom is like you need to go and she's still on my ass for going to school <laughs> she's like you should go back to school and i'm just like i don't know no so uh i guess the point is like from a young age we're told that like this is not going to be a viable way to make a living and, and plus now in school like with with uh with you know like with art being the first thing to be on the chopping block right art is like cut out of the school curriculum and we have this archaic way of teaching kids still that's from like 200 years ago with the industrial revolution coming up they teach us to be little workers little like factory job workers whereas those fucking jobs are going out of existence right. like they're saying in 30 years computers are going to be taking over everything you're not going to need a bagger you know right. look at amazon amazon right now it fucking has a store now in seattle where you just click in you go take your own shit off the shelf and you just walk out there's right. no there's nobody there monitoring anything you know i'm sure there's a couple people but everything's becoming automated all these jobs are being outsourced to computers and we're teaching kids still how to be little factory workers yep. and and cutting out art curriculum and and we're not teaching kids autonomy and we're this knowledge based shit they're teaching kids where you know fucking where geography when that's something you can look up on the internet as like instead of like teaching them how to file your taxes properly or fucking become like an a business or a small business owner or teaching them how to use creativity to carve your own way through the world and uh, i think especially here in america that's kind of like that's kind of a bad situation to be in because like these kids get out and they go to school and they go to these colleges and for jobs that aren't really existing right and i think it all starts with creativity and like figuring out how to carve your own way it's like we're in san diego and i got fired from my job it was an office job sucked hated it got fired and me and my wife were just kind of put in this position it was like well what the fuck do we do now she kind of got thrown under the bus and she was just starting we started creating these programs for kids to teach kids art because of art being cut from the schools um it left open a door for us to go in there and and do after school programs where we could teach art like and teach music classes and we kind of carved our own way out of it put in a pinch and especially with california prizes I was really impressed in us, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not trying to brag about it, but, like, for me, that was ideal artist. Like, we're both working musicians. We're, we're, we had our own business doing um, art and teaching music, and we're completely autonomous and, like, figuring it out for ourselves, but, we're like, almost in our mid-30s, and, like, this is shit that maybe we should have been taught a long time ago, how to figure it out for yourself instead of 
being told you have to go and be an aerospace engineer if you want any kind of life for yourself. Right. I know I kind of went on a rant there, but uh, I mean, like, I just feel like that we kind of need to change perception of of how we teach kids and like what we're teaching kids, sure. especially at the home, because. Well, you got to look at it from the standpoint of who's teaching you. What were they taught? Right, you know, exactly. They were taught and, the same thing. Yeah, and, and I'm not hating job. on your parents or oh, no. my parents, you know, because they come from that generation where I get it's it. like they come from that generation where it's like you go to the fucking work and you do this and you have, you know, you fucking work hard and you buy your house and you have your family. And well, that's the problem with uh, like cultural and societal norms. It's mm. normal. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, like, it's normal to be a fucking a drone. Yeah, it's normal to be a drone. It's normal to hate your job. Yeah. It's normal to scrimp by and yeah. just be dissatisfied with life. <laughs> so think about how many people are like afraid to do what I've done. Yeah, totally. Because, well, what if I don't make it? Yeah, so what if you don't make it? Right. Guess what? You can still mop floors at Walmart if you don't make it. <laughs> right. And then you got to pick yourself up and try it again. Right. Um, I mean, I had definitely fortune on my side. A lot of things went the right way. A lot of things have gone and still go the wrong way. Yeah. Um, it's all a matter of the way you react to it. Mm. And yeah. I think a lot of people are programmed and raised to just go for the safe bet. Yep. And then they wonder, why am I unfulfilled? Why am I not happy? <laughs> yeah. The other thing, too, is, like, people will say things, you know, they have kids, like, oh, it's easy for you because you don't have kids. A lot of it comes down to the decisions you make. Yeah. Um, you know, you said you lost your job and you guys were in a weird situation, so you made a decision yeah. to pursue what you guys loved. I was pushed off the edge instead well, of taking the leap by Well, either way, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is the impetus was there and you made the decision. And and by the way, I had a fucking uh, two-year-old son, or oh no, a one-year-old baby boy still. Well, there like, you go. Still on the tit. Um, you know, that's a hard thing to do, to come home to your family be like, hey. Yeah, it's frightening. It, it is. But then it's like, okay, let's get done with being mad and scared and let's fucking focus on what we need to do because rent is due, bitch. You right. know? So, like, let's figure it out. So, have you always called your son bitch? Um, only. <laughs> Sorry, bad jokes. They probably no, won't translate okay. well. But. <laughs> Um, no, I, uh, no, I pair them up. I call them Oh, yeah, bitches. it's a collective bitch. Yeah, so it's like whenever they're in the room at the same time, it's like, hey, bitch, we got to do this now. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's a scary thing to think of yourself. Uh, it's very vulnerable to think of yourself as um, maybe not being able to provide for your kid mm-hmm. and maybe not being able to provide. And, like, you're going to have tough times and it's going to be hard. But... I think if you're focused and and you know what you're doing and you know oh, even if you don't know what you're doing right right well I mean like if you know what you're doing as in um um I, I guess I don't know where I'm going with that so but you're right you're right because even if you don't know what you're doing you've kind of figured it out as you go and I will say this for anybody that's thinking about music as a career even when like for me I've been doing this professionally for nine years I did it as an amateur for four mm. so I have like thirteen years producing music for sale i don't know what the fuck i'm doing <laughs> true story right. that's why i come down and i catalog music and i you know when i have new stuff done i'll make sure everybody knows about it mm. um sometimes a hit a lot of times i miss uh sometimes i think oh i'm gonna nail this one and then they'll come back and be like yeah it's just no, i mean it's close but it's yeah. not right oh fuck you know what are you supposed to do at that point right you just kind of put your head down and keep going right um when you're saying that 
Oh shit, I forgot where. Fuck. That's alright. We can take a pause. <laughs> I'm, I'm still warming up from the morning. That's okay. Let me. Does this bother you? No, I'm I'm totally fine with that. Okay. Well, if you change your mind, let me know. Oh no, I'm good, man. All right. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so you started producing beats and then you sort of how did you acquire agents and shit like how was what was that process like that was that that kind of goes back to the right place right time mm-hmm. i had done some music for wade waters wade waters had complete music mm-hmm. you know they had instrumental and vocal which is i wouldn't say it's uh essential but it's it's awesome to have mm-hmm. see a lot of what i do is instrumental right. so it's a little bit harder for me to find homes for some of this stuff mm-hmm. um especially when it comes to like film trailers uh nobody wants an instrumental unless it's like orchestral they want something with yeah. vocals and they want the vocal version and they want the instrumental version and they want the version that's called a tv mix with the vocals turned down <laughs> and they want the radio edit and it's just like oh it's just it cascades it's out of control but no um i did a piece of music for another artist who was pitching for a tv show um that agent was like, hey, your instrumentals are pretty good. Is it cool if I represent some of your instrumentals? Oh, um, it was just like, hey, I'm just... Sure. What's and then up? <laughs> we, we placed a couple on a TV show. Um, that person left their spot at that agency, went somewhere else, was working on movies. Mm. Shot me an email like, hey, you know, do you have anything else like this? Because I'm working on a movie. Boom, got a movie spot. And then I want to say some someone in the capacity under him, or under this agent, was working on this film. They went and they did a video game. They were like, hey, I worked with Adam and we did this movie and I was wondering if you had any more songs like this. I'm working on a video game. Sure, boom, here you go. Uh Now I'm doing video games. Now I know people that, you know, place music for video games. So it's one of those things that takes time um, and it all depends on your ability to give people what they need when they need it. So I would say that's probably my biggest strong suit. I'm not an amazing songwriter. Um, I'm a pretty damn good engineer and mixing engineer, but I would say the thing that keeps people coming back to me for business is, well, I have a tendency to under promise and over deliver. Ah, okay. So people are like, when, you know, can you do this for me? And how much is it going to cost? How much is it going to take? Well, it'll take a week. It's going to cost you 1500 bucks and leave it at that. And they Uh say, okay, okay, cool. I'll get it done in two days and charge them two thirds the money. Oh, okay. They come in under budget. It's done. They have everything they need. I look like a superstar. Uh, Checks in the mail. Boom. Yeah. yeah I, I remember what I was trying to talk about earlier. Um, is there like a specific um, time or uh, a specific case you can think of where um, things weren't going right for you as in like for a deadline or... Yes. <laughs> Very specifically. There's been many. I know, but just one in particular where, um, where it kind of like... You're just like, fuck. Or yeah, so I was be- working with an agency in New York, and they had a large part portion of my catalog. And uh, they came to me and said, hey, you know, we're working with this client, and they really like this piece of music. Is there any way you could make some small changes f- to fit the edit? Fit the, you know, they call the video the edit. I said, send me the edit. I'll put it in Pro Tools, and, you know, I'll go in, and I'll time stretch and cue everything up. So I spent, like, two days adjusting this arrangement to the edit, send it back. And they were like, oh, that's cool, but that's not what we were talking about. Oh. I was like, well, we need to clarify then what yeah. we're talking about. So anyway, this was the beginning of a long string of conference calls and group emails with the quote creatives. That's what they call the people that conceptualize the commercial, mm-hmm. you know, put it together, edit it. And what I quickly realized was that those who create the concept and the advertisement 
do not speak the same language as those who write the music okay. for said advertisement. So there were a lot of like back and forth confusing emails about humanity and, <laughs> um, you know, we're used to things like dynamics and right. tone and texture and color. Mm. And they're saying shit about, we need more humanity. And, <laughs> um, you know, and there's like, and I was not afraid to say, what, what, is, what are you talking yeah, about? Are you talking about like human percussion, like snaps and pops or yeah, piano yeah. or what? And they, they can't answer you. Right. So that's anyhow, your job. Yeah. Yeah. That's your job. You figure out what we mean. Yeah. So it was one of those things where, you know, I would spend like four or five hours making edits, send it off and they'd come back and be like, hate it. It's worse than the last one. Oh my God. But they were unable to communicate what they didn't like. Yeah. And this went on for like four or five days and it was not a paid situation. It was oh. paid if and when they purchased the song, which they ultimately did not. Oh, okay. So I had four or five days down the toilet. Yeah, I mean, I I still had a song to put in the catalog, but I still don't think it's sold since then because it was so hyperly specific to that commercial, mm -hmm. you know. But um, you know, with that comes a, a very valuable lesson and very valuable experience, so you don't make the same mistakes. Yeah, and um, I've been presented opportunities to kind of go down that path again, and very plainly said, "Cool, give me a demo budget, you know, mm -hmm. give me eight hundred bucks, and I'm yours for the week. Oh, I I'll do you. whatever you want." Just... And if they say no, I'm like, well, that's that lets me know they're not committed enough to their idea to put $800 down to have somebody custom create music and edit it for their needs. Right. And it's not a matter of my ability. They're not, you know, saying, oh, we don't think we can give you 800 bucks and get anything worthwhile. I'm, right. They wouldn't approach me you yeah. know, to begin with. It's just they're not solid enough in their, um, I guess, creative process or their decision-making process to know what they want. So how have you kind of like, okay, so you, you use this, um, you use that demo, what did you call it? A demo budget? A demo budget to kind of ensure that you're not wasting your time. For sure. Um, so like when you're approached now with, with people who are just like, I need more humanity and a little less, you know, whatever. Do you, how do you approach that now? I mean, you just ask them specifically. I mean, because I'm, I'm sure that you still have to deal with that in some cases. So how do you kind of like navigate through that? Uh, Besides you know, the demo budget. Well, well, the demo budget for me just lets me know that they're serious and yeah. that they're pretty concrete in what they want. Mm. Um, otherwise, it's case by case. Um, yeah, I, I did a job for Sunoco and NASCAR, I think in 2015, um, wherein they had a couple of, you know, this is very common. They'll say, you know, we like these tracks. They'll give you like three or four reference pieces mm. and they'll be so far on either end of the <laughs> spectrum. Right, right. And you say, you know, what is it about this that you like? What is it about this that you like? Um, Honestly, I wish there was an easy answer to right. this, but it, it is, it's, it's case by case. In every instance, I'm working with an agency. So there's somebody in Boston or New York that is the intermediary between me, the musician, and the advertising agency. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, it's their job to talk to the advertising agency, figure out what they want, and then put it, decipher it, and translate it such that I know what to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wish there was an easy answer. There's no, st There I are understand. still jobs that come in. I'm like, what? You know, you, you'll get like a gold frap uh, reference and you'll get like uh, Kanye's Nazi skinhead. <laughs> and you're like, wait, how do I make these two work? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for the most part, I will say this. Anybody that's 
licensing or trying to work with somebody that wants custom music or is just cataloging music, um, try to make things vanilla. Mm-hmm. And I know it's 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 kind of it was a hard thing for me to accept, you know, because I'm an artist and I want to be creative and I want to make new things that are exciting and fun. Yeah. But for the most part, the general population just wants something that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like oh, it's super like identifiable and it feels fresh, but it also feels familiar. Right. So that's why if and when we get time, I'll go through a bunch of stuff. You'll be like, oh, that's dope. Kind yeah. of feels familiar, but it's right. also dope and fresh. Right. But that takes years. I mean, I'm still honing that skill. It's just practice every day. Yeah. It goes down to that. Um, when you were talking earlier about the war of art, um, you know, being a professional working every day, even if you don't feel like working, you have stuff that's, quote, finished that you can go back and polish. Right. So some days if I'm not, not feeling exceptionally creative, I'll go back over something, you know, save a copy as and then just start tearing it apart or trying to make certain things better that's that's a awesome that's awesome advice or take something that's like super dynamic and crazy that may never find a home and try to figure out a way to like slap some mayonnaise on it and make it you know <laughs> yeah, make right. it digestible right right uh, so when you're when you're uh, starting on any piece of music what where do you usually start it all depends mm-hmm. um, if it's catalog material what I really like to do is pull up a synthesizer or a sampler and just start flipping through stuff. Mm. Find something that catches your ear. Oh, that that could be really cool. Um, are, are you one of those guys who just, like, will take a sound as is, or do you go in and build, like, a patch from scratch, like, on a... No, I tend not to do patches from scratch. Mm. Um, for me, the art doesn't lie in, like, the detail or complexity of a sound. It, mm. it lies in, you know, chord progression, melody, right. dynamics, um... And it's not to say I I'd, I would say it's pretty rare for me to leave anything untouched. So if I were to take like a patch out of Omnisphere or Serum, mm. I might you know just track it in MIDI, let it run MIDI while I'm building, and then when it comes time to print Wave, I might print the Wave like clean right out of Serum or mm. Omnisphere, and then I'll go in and I'll just beat the shit out of it with plugins. Mm. Um, and that's not to say I'll make it unrecognizable, but. You know, there's tons of stuff. Anybody that makes music knows you can play with depth with delay and reverb, and you can play with texture with distortion and compression, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, it's just it becomes almost like a, a little game. Like, how can I make this cooler? Yeah. I already like it, but how do I make it cooler? Yeah. That's actually what I'm, I've been doing probably since November is really focusing on my drums. My drums have always been big and mixed well so that they carry a lot of power, but mm-hmm. there's not been... They don't feel like you're in a big room. Like, if you had a big, like, a timpani or a taiko drum, Mm. you can hear it resonate in a room. Right. Well, for the most part, you don't want to send bass signals to reverb because you just get mud. You get shit. Yeah, yeah. But there's other ways to make them sound big, Mm. you know. So that's actually been my focus for the last few months is how do I make my drums bigger. I'll go back and play that song that we played earlier, Mm. but I'll play it at volume just to give you an idea what the drums sound like. You'd be like, holy shit. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, you, you talking about the song you're collaborating with, or the yeah. uh, the commercial? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the the first one I showed you in Ableton. That's like kind of being piecemealed together right now. Mm-hmm. That whole thing started because I wanted to make something with big drums. Oh, okay. So that that piece was started with drums. Um, so what would be your approach to like making big drums? Trial and error. Try. <laughs> uh, what have you found that worked? Uh, well, I mean, first and foremost sound selection you mm-hmm. got to pick something that sounds good off the rip yeah if you pick something that's kind of dead that's got like a really quick attack and a short decay good luck right you know um layering is super important um gosh i'm sure we talked about this when i was on my reason kick <laughs> i used to build 
you know, redrum machines with all 16 channels yeah. that were just a kick. And then I'd build one that was 16 channels that were just snare. Right. And that's how I'd get my size. Just um, that's, so that's something you've done for a while. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Layering is very important. A lot of guys will uh, layer but forget to EQ. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, I've given people the tip like, oh, layer your drums. And then I'll listen to their stuff and it's just... You know, a giant turd of bass. <laughs> and it's like, well, what do you like about this one? Oh, I like the way that, you know, it clicks. Cool. Mm-hmm. We'll EQ out the lows. Right. You know, um, compress it. Cut mm-hmm. the tail off. You know, go in and highlight what each little piece of the drum you like. Build it and stack it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know it sounds oversimplified, but no. it's, I mean, that's what I do. I sit down here and I tweak and I play and uh, you find what works and you find what doesn't work. And for the most part, it's a constant um, evolution, honestly, as you work. Um, some people will say they like to create and then mix at the end. I do it all like at once, hmm. like as you're creating mixes, you go. Wow. Okay. So, cause I mean, I'm definitely one of the people who mix at the end. Um, but although I will find myself like, um, especially when I'm tracking drum, like real drums, when I, when I find myself sort of putting on like the plugins that I know I like, I find myself like kind of like taking out the frequencies and kind of figuring out where, you know, where to scoop out shit as I go. Mm-hmm. But that's mostly for drums. Like for the rest of it, I'll just be like fucking throw it on there. And if I want to like hear how, like if I have an idea of what I want to do with it, I'll do it on the spot. But for the most part, I take it at the end. I don't know, like so. So you'll actually go and EQ your your kick, and each kick that you like, even if you're layering, you'll go through and EQ it the way you want as you go. Yes, absolutely. Because okay. if you think about it, in the sense of like you're saying, managing a live kit, that's a lot of sonic information to handle. Oh my god. So I yeah, it makes it. sense. To, <laughs> you know, yeah. EQ your kick, compress your snares, EQ your overheads, whatever. Um, but the reason I like to EQ and basically mix on the flies because I feel a certain way about it at that moment. Mm-hmm. And then that choice, that decision has an impact on the decisions I make farther down the road. So if I'm just kind of like, meh, whatever about the drums <laughs> and the bass and the guitar, then I end up with this piece that I'm just like, eh, it could be okay, yeah. but it's going to take a lot of work. Right. Um, so That's- I find for me personally, EQing and, you know, touching things as I go helps keep me motivated and yeah. excited about it. Yeah, so um, and that's with the live instrumentation too. You'll just sort of like if you're putting in a bass, you'll be like, okay, I want to make sure that this bass sort of fits in. Sure. So you do it more as like a workflow thing rather than um, because because you're saying like once you get to the end, it might be this big, it might be kind of cool, but there's like all this work that needs to be done on it. And um, right, and I'm sure you know this too. Like you'll work on something; it's a great idea, and you're excited about it. You record it, you put it down, you come back the next day, and you're like, mm, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't have the same energy I had for it yesterday. Yeah. So it's better for me to capture that in the moment. Gotcha. I, I think that was kind of where I was trying to go with that, because cause when you, you get discouraged, and then that sort of sucks the energy out of that song. Oh, absolutely. And then that might just sit there for, like, however much, and you work on something else, and then maybe you'll go back to that. But or or I'll just sit there in limbo forever. Yep, yep, and never be touched again. So. <laughs> right of it. Um, so what? Um, 
I, I asked this to all musicians, and it's a hard question, but um, it's not that hard. I don't know why is that. It's a really hard question, bro. What's like a seminal album that sort of like blew the doors open, and like in terms of like production and like what you can do with music? And and I always give my example. Like for me personally, the seminal album for me was Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. That kind of like showed me like you can do anything and everything all at once with music. So. Wow, that's um. I don't know if I've ever really looked at it in terms of pushing me and showing me what I could or couldn't do. For me, music is all about inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's music for every mood. There's music for every feeling. The thing that got me like really crazy excited about music to begin with was Rage Against the Machines. Rage Against the Machine. Oh, sweet. Like that for me, you know. Before then, we had you know there was grunge and oh gosh, that was like '92. I think I was like 11. That's mm-hmm. when I was telling you I got my first guitar. Right. Yeah, just the guitar tones, the sounds, the crazy shit Tom Morello was doing. Right. I was, like, blown away. Plus, you had badass rapping. Yeah. Zach De La Rocha, you know. Yeah, uh, like... Bow God, it was everything. And I had yeah. never heard that before. Spe- mm. You know, imagine being adolescent and hearing just, Fuck you, I won't do yeah. what you tell yeah. me. Yeah, I was. I was there. God, that I melted was, my face. Yeah, And for, sure. for years, I mean, Still Rage is one of my favorite all-time bands. But then there's, like... Uh, Shit, everything from Muse. Muse is amazing. Oh, my God. And Matthew Bellamy just, oh, my God. I wish I could write like he does with the arpeggiators and the synths and And incorporating that with his guitar with the fucking chaos pad. Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) see, I got an NBC one sitting there, no chaos pad, but (laughs) that's one of my jams right there. That's on 90% of everything I've done over the last two years has been that guitar. And, you know, you see, I've got strats and tellies and. Hollow bodies and acoustics, and I've got my metal guitar upstairs. But um, <laughs> is it an Ibanez? No, no. But I've had my share of Ibanez. Yeah. my RG two seventies. Oh, the G seventy five. That thing is a. That thing is like your rusted out eighty five Buick. Mm. It's a giant piece of shit, but it's good for very, very specific things. Very specific. Um, I did a commercial for Reebok a couple of years ago, and you know the whole CrossFit thing was huge. Um, Actually, I'll play it for you because a lot of people probably have seen it and heard it. And that's all the G75. This is what I did the day I brought that thing home. I got it for like, God, man, 140 bucks, yeah. I think. Uh, well, yeah, what what brand new retail, that's like, what, 300 bucks Yeah, or 275 bucks yeah. tops. And it's, I mean, it's all beat to shit. It's uh, it's missing pieces. It's it's all torn up. Uh, let me see if it's These are all ads you've done? No, these are not all. I'm, I've oh. worked on... 60% of these, uh, this one's mine, this one's mine, I worked on that one. Some of the companies, if you can just name them. Oh, so go. we've got Sunoco, Dunkin' Donuts, I've done Dunkin' Donuts, Vistaprint, um, GMC, 1800, let's see, there's another Reebok one I did, oh, gosh, I don't think they have, well, shit, I'll play the instrumental for you anyway, the video's not up there. But yeah, this thing was awesome. Uh, let's see, what was it? What did I call it? No, that's disrupt. Sorry, I'm derailing your. That's okay. Here. I mean, dead air is not. I, I do not fear you can just dead edit air. it out. <laughs> I can, or most of the time, I just let that shit roll because I don't know. We're we're doing something. I I, I don't know. I, I find it interesting. I'm, when I listen to podcasts and I hear it's just people like kind of moving around, I get that that's not for everybody, but like, I like that. I like to hear like the real shit that's happening at that moment. It's like, right, because we're in the studio. I'm going through a catalog here that's 113 songs deep. And this is all stuff that I've placed. 
Oh, so nice. this is all stuff. There's a bunch of 113 people. place songs. Yeah, and I'm trying to That's find. Awesome. The problem is, is I sold it, but it was a non-exclusive, and then I renamed it to sell it again. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember what it oh, is. You renamed it. Oh my god. That's awesome. So you just will be like, fuck it. If it's not exclusive, then it's like, then it's fair game for something else. Exactly. Ooh, that's sweet. Shit, I cannot remember what the hell it was called. I'll remember it. It's because yeah. I'm on the spot. And I'm like, what was the name of that yeah. one song that I did two years ago? Right. But yeah, um, everything's got its place. Everything's good for something. Um, you know, I, I've had really, really high-end guitars and learned that they were good for like one thing. So I'd rather, <laughs> instead of having like a $1,500 guitar, I'd rather have three $400 guitars. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. That's what I was, I mean, because I've been looking at those, whatever the fuck they're called. See, I love talking about gear, but I, I don't I don't have a good memory capacity to like actually remember the actual names of every single piece of gear. Okay. So I'm just like, I like that hollow body Ibanez there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been, but I've been looking at that and trying to get something. Like I'm, a hollow body? Yeah. Hollow body well, I just love I just love hollow bodies, and I love, uh, I like blues, and like I like the jazzy shit, so... I'm always trying to work on that shit. I'm not that, but you know, yeah. you know, it's just fucking around with uh, just different styles. Cause I, I mostly, well, I only have a Strat here. Most of my equipment is in San Diego in a in a storage. Oh, loop. that's rough. <laughs> like all my vinyl and my fucking. I went through that too when I moved here. Like all my gear was in South Dakota for like a year. Oh, and and you're just like fuck. I had one guitar and one shitty little amp. Dude, I'm right there right now. Like, well, I was because <clears throat> I have friends who are from Toledo who like travel back. So like some people that came back for Christmas and Thanksgiving, I was like, hey, could you grab my fucking my Nord? out of my storage unit and okay and they bring it over and then i just had someone bring my strat back oh nice and then now i'm having my buddy mail back um it's a fucking little synth i'm starting i'm playing with a little um i'm just getting my feet wet but i'm playing a putting together a reggae band so oh, that's like, fun yeah so like i'm just trying to get my feet wet and the guys in the band they all work and they work in working bands so it's nice to start networking with a band and then try to just find work <laughs> yeah because i was looking at detroit and ann arbor and living in southern california i'm really used to driving long distances to get to where i have to go so like driving to detroit for a rehearsal is not or, right or yeah a, 45 or minutes gig, not yeah. too bad i don't care i i would drive like like two hours sometimes drive like an hour and a half whatever it is you're always fighting traffic, and you're always just sort of fucking... And everything's just far as fuck away. So yeah. You're driving all this way for a few hundred dollars, but, you know, that few hundred dollars... Yeah, what's the old adage? It's like, uh, musicians are people that pack $5,000 worth of gear in a $500 <laughs> car to go make 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how it works. Uh, I was working with this one reggae artist who she, she didn't really pay great, um, but she was signed to... Have you ever heard of Slightly Stupid? Yeah. Yeah. So she was signed to their label, and oh my god, I, I we left San Diego right before I will before that she went in the studio and started grinding out all the live instrumentation, and she really liked me, and she just wanted me to play. She's like, I want you to record on my album, blah blah blah. I want you to tour with me and all this shit, and I did that. I would work for like fifty bucks. I would drive a few hours for fifty bucks. Um, 
because the opportunities that provide not only was i getting exposure to like big festival scenes and you know knowing how to navigate through that i had my fucking mics and i'll just be like hey talk to me you know so i was right. able to talk to like bigger artists in the reggae scene especially out in california reggae is just huge and then um but then also to have like credits like on a real label and a real studio fucking left town yeah credits are everything it's crazy for real like because your resume it's like it's your resume it's it's weird and i have a lot of experience working huge festivals and fucking you know just blue collar gigging but i don't have the recording credits that i wish i did have yeah but whatever you know yeah well you you just you just go forward and i mean i do this because i love it yeah i'm fortunate enough to make money right um and i imagine you make music because you love it yeah so yeah. I, I guess it it doesn't really matter. We all die. So <laughs> if you had fun, if you had fun, it's cool. If you didn't have fun, you have shitloads of money. It's like, what was the point? Yeah. You know? For sure. Yeah. And that's how I see it. It's like every time that I would leave my house to go to a new place, I've never been some weird place in California. Like not only am I going to see some weird place in California, especially coming from Toledo, you know, where everything's flat. It's kind of grand dismal. And, you know, it's it's a fucking blue-collar community here. And nothing against that. It's just when you go to California and you see, like, the immense beauty and the immense that just, like, wealth and, like, there's people just l- making livings off being creative in mm-hmm. Southern California or just being hot, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, whatever it is, they're fucking – a lot of it's going on over there. So just going and see different parts of California and seeing different – um, you know, just being around different artists who, you know, you look up to. That, to me, was worth it. I probably would have did that for free, but, you know, yeah. at least I was getting paid something, and I do have a son, so I, I did have to, like, put my foot down. Right, <laughs> you yeah. Know? You got to be and, an adult at uh, that point. Yeah, and eventually that's what happens. You you fucking grind away for free, and you keep working, you keep working, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, I got paid. That's cool. Right. And then all of a sudden... I'm making a living and I'm paying bills and shit. Well, that's literally what happened with me. I was doing, uh, you know, for a while there I worked radio. I'd go into work at four in the morning. I'd get home at 10 in the morning and then I'd work until five. And then I got a factory job and I'd go work 12 hours of that piece of shit. (laughs) Come home exhausted. (laughs) It was, it it sucked hard. Um, yeah. yeah, And then it just got to the point. A few things took off and, uh, you know, at least as far as licensing go, licensing goes, the name of the game is royalties. It's all residual mm-hmm. income. So you just got to – it's all statistical too. The more you put out, the more you're going to place. And then yeah. in a couple of years, you're getting checks for shit that you sold years ago. And you're like, okay, cool. So you're still getting checks. From oh, like yeah. And I'll be getting checks from shit that I did in 2009 until I die. Yeah. You know, it's like I worked on the blind side. Well, guess what? They run every Thanksgiving on TV. <laughs> the blind The blind side. side. And oh. they do it all over the world. Wow. So usually my spring checks are – pretty nice because you know everything's like about six months behind when it comes yeah. to royalties but yeah yeah in the spring that's usually when i get new gear <laughs> you know and it's not just that i mean there's uh, ncis and power and rogue and at one point i was doing every kardashian show that there was oh I've my done god cribs and they just rerun the shit out of that stuff yeah you know and you might only make seven dollars every time they run an episode mm-hmm. but if they run that episode four times a month and they run that you know around the world right you know that seven bucks turns into 280 right and that's for one episode you know so it all adds up and then so you get you get checked you get paid quarterly is that yeah. how it works mm-hmm. okay yeah. So, yeah i'm not too familiar how it works with pay well i will explain it to you and if you ever want to do another 
uh, podcast just on performing rights organizations. Because <laughs> there's so many people, like, basically, what I, well, another thing I really enjoy doing is helping people get into this business. Oh, okay. um, I, I've talked to some, uh, I've talked to, like, a voiceover actor mm-hmm. and... Um, Shepard? No, no, no. His name is Bentley Michaels. Okay. He's a voiceover actor, but he also does, like, you know, he does licensing music. He does audible books. He does... Um, I mean, he's like a, he tap dances. He's a wow. stand-up comedian. Uh, is this guy from around here? Or is this no, in California? No, he's, he's actually in Salem, Oregon. Oh, okay. And um, I had a chance to meet him in person because we we only have a relationship because he's been on the podcast a few times because he's he has like ten podcasts. And, you know, like busy, he, busy guy. Yeah, he's very laced to the game. But he's like one of those guys who has like that starve mentality where it's like I was like so like just a generic question would be like, How do people get their foot in the door? He's like, Well, first of all, don't. Second of all, it's impossible. And and then like he's joking, but like he does seriously like defend his space. Oh, absolutely. The, That's the, actually I run into that a lot still. People mm-hmm. that wanna like keep trade secrets secret. Yeah. Um and I will say one of the things I learned very early on was I didn't like being treated like that. So I promised myself that when I'm in that position and I can share information, share it. Yeah. You know, don't worry about somebody taking your job or right. taking something that you had access to. Um, the The opportunities are endless. There's so much out there. There's so many ways to sell music and put music out there. Um, you just have to be willing to put in the work and don't be afraid to be told no. Yeah. Seriously, for every time I'm told no, I'm like, sweet, I'm one step closer to selling something. Right. You know? Um and the other thing, too, is I remember when I was starting out just learning how to engineer, you know, this was these were the days of analog tape and having to set up your tape machines every time you wanted to record or setting up your ADATs and syncing that stuff up. Guys that had been doing that for 15, 20 years did not want to teach people what they knew. Oh, wow. Well, how, do, how else do you protect what you know? Right. And how do you justify charging 35, 45 bucks an hour for what you know if you teach some 20-year-old kid how to do what you're doing? Right. So, um, yeah, no, I find that senseless, and I think it's a lot more fun to share. Um, I bet you I've got three or four emails right now of people that I'm just, like, kind of coaching. Like, here's what you want to do. Here, mm-hmm. how, here's um, how you should approach it, and here's the avenue you want to take, and this is the right way to do things. Here's the wrong way to do things. Yeah. And then leave it up to them. I mean, I'm not responsible or irresponsible for their success, but if you give people the tools and they're successful, they'll remember that, and they're going to come back and be like, dude, thanks so much. Right, right. And or do you want to work on something down the road? (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah, Um, you're almost setting up your, like, a future fucking project just by helping someone along. I mean, I know that's not your intention. Like, you're going to give me something. No, that's totally my intention. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, So just, I guess, a generic, generic question is, like, how would you suggest to somebody to, like, um, go out and and wade through licensing music. Oh my god, that's so generic. I know that's such a generic. I know, question. but it's because no, I don't know. Well, I no, don't no, no. know very much about it. No, 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 that's not too generic. Um, it's actually very, uh, it's specific, and you don't realize how specific it is because licensing is such a narrow, um, way to make music, or make money making music. And I say that that it's narrow because there are certain things in which. Let me start this all over because I'm sure. talking myself in circles. That's okay. Um, actually, do you mind if I pee? I think that's part of my go problem. Is I'm like my eyes are starting to float. <laughs> you know what? I'll go in after you. All right. I'm well, gonna actually, pa- you can use the one down here. I'll go upstairs. Okay. We're gonna pause for a second. Cool. Fire that yeah, back we're, up. We're back with our healthy Whew. pee streams. Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> I would say like 15 minutes ago, I was like, man, I got to pee. I was like, I'll be all right. Just soldier on. Right. 
<laughs> and then when it starts interfering with your thought patterns, yeah, your like, thought process, yeah, you got, you got, like, yeah, no, I gotta pee. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. So anyway, you were asking about how to get into licensing, and you were like, it's kind of generic. It's not actually that generic of a question. Um, there are ways in. So I guess picking where to start. Um, catalog make music you have to have a lot of music um one of the things i've run into over the last like eight or nine years too is when i first started it was okay just to be somebody that sat in your basement and made music mm -hmm. and what's moving what, what we're moving toward now is like people want to buy music from an artist with a soundcloud page and youtube views and an instagram account and that's been my challenge mm -hmm. um some of the bigger ads um like we i pitched actually for a google pixel ad maybe like a month ago Agency loved it. They were like, oh, my God, this is so good. And they were like, do you have a link to the YouTube video? Uh, no. Uh, what's your SoundCloud? So I gave them the link to the SoundCloud. They were like, you have, like, 16 followers. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. What's the Instagram? Like, for what? Like, I sit in the basement and make music 10 right. hours a day. What Instagram? Oh, well, they want an, an artist. I'm like, I'm a fucking artist. <laughs> yeah, and even though you have this catalog of music that's been placed and you have a resume... They're still looking yeah, at like, well, likes and follows. Well, everything is, you know, so focused on social media anymore. Yeah. They want to hire a cool artist, and that's been my challenge. So the guys that I'm, like, trying to push into the business now, you know, one of the things I tell them is build your SoundCloud. You know, you got to hustle. You got to get followers. You have to have an Instagram. You know, even if you just put up a still image, put a YouTube video up because they want to see YouTube views. And it's so ridiculous because there's so much good music out there made by people like me mm. that don't have, you know, I'm not inclined to get on Instagram. Right. You know what I mean? I work way too much. And when I'm not working, I got two dogs and a wife. <laughs> Guess what I'm not doing? Taking pictures of my food. <laughs> you know, I don't have an, inst I don't have Instagram, but, but they want to buy music from quote content creators. And that's, the way things have been going for a while, and I'm a bit of a dinosaur in that sense, and it's not that I'm refusing to do that, it's just that I'm so used to just writing good music. Yeah, doing work. Doing yeah, I'm doing work, work. Yeah. and you know, they don't see me as an artist, so that's one of the hurdles I'm trying to jump right now, but anyway. That's so strange. That's so strange that you can have like an awesome catalog of like place licensed music, a resume that's like beautiful. And yet, because you don't have the followers on IG that you're fucking like... Yeah, I'm nothing. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's, that's literally what happened. I was... Um, did you have a, uh, do you have an Instagram now? I think I do. <laughs> I think it might have been something I set up like, like six years ago. Facebook or anything? Do not do Facebook. Yeah, I loathe Facebook. I yeah. don't like everyth everything it stands for. And you know what's great? It's kind of like this this quiet like yeah you were right dude like how they're talking about how like facebook's contributing to like depression rates and suicide yeah. and it's just like it's a shithole it's bad people wake up and they like look at their facebook kind right. of, you know dopamine yeah i'm drip. like yeah see i knew it but for <laughs> me what it was was you know i sit i work from home and i'm on a computer all day um I don't think I have actual ADD, but it was so easy for me to like go, well, I don't know what to do with this song. I'm going to go check Facebook. Right. You know what I mean? And then yeah. there's 20 minutes of my day down the toilet. Distraction. And I really didn't want to go get a day job again. So I was like, <laughs> this, this part of my life just has to go. I feel you. So I got rid of it. And that was like six years ago, I want to yeah. say. Um, um, but yeah, back to getting yeah, into licensing. Please. So this is probably all disjointed at this point. The agencies that have access to the opportunities for television, film, 
and commercial, any kind of work where somebody is going to pay for music, they don't take unsolicited work. So you can't just send them an email, hey, you know, I'm Mighty and this is my catalog. They're going to go, hey, don't give a fuck and put it in the garbage. <laughs> so it's your job to get in the door. I was lucky enough to just work with somebody who was already with an agency and working on a project. Um, but there are other ways in. There are pay-to-play systems such as like your music dealers and your broad jams where you pay a monthly or a yearly subscription just to have the opportunity to look at jobs Mm -hmm. and then if you want to submit music for that job you pay like five bucks a song if you want to submit three songs you pay 15 bucks and then you're guaranteed that that supervisor or that agency is going to hear that music not guaranteed a placement um now i know to a lot of people that sounds like bullshit because you got to pay and you got to pay but what it does is it kind of like weeds out the people that aren't serious Mm -hmm. if you're not serious about your music you're not going to pay 120 bucks to be on this service and then you know five bucks every time you want to submit a song so um that's kind of trudging and slow and you have to have money to put into the system, mm-hmm. but it's a good way to get into it because what's going to end up happening is you're going to get a placement somewhere. Um, whomever might be working on that job is not going to be on that job forever. Cause for the most part, when a TV show's over or, um, a movie's over, they're going to go get a job with another show or another movie, or they're going to go, you know what? I don't like licensing music for commercials. I'm going to go work for an agency that just does TV. Um, and if you develop and build a good relationship with them, they're going to remember you. I mean, look at Gmail. I mean, I have contacts that I don't even remember from like 20 years ago. Like I start typing in somebody's email. I'm like, who is JF Roberts? At the- oh God, that's the dude that worked at, you know, yeah. wherever. Um, and that happens. And they'll be like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me from 10 years ago, but we did this TV show, you know, mm-hmm. do you have anything like this? So, um, but first and foremost, I guess, God, dude, should we start this whole thing over? Because I think the fir- most important thing is you got to be with a performing rights organization. Mm-hmm. So an ASCAP or a BMI, CSAC, okay. whatever. Um, and the reason being is if you're not registered as a writer and you're trying to sell music, no one's going to talk to you. That's like going to get a job anywhere and you're filling out the application. And they're like, well, we need your social security number so we can write you checks. Right. I don't have a social security number. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not going to work. Um, signing up with a PRO, it's easy. It's a one-time thing. Everybody wants a fee. I think when I signed up, it was like 25 bucks. It might be like 35 or 40 bucks yeah, now. I think mine was like, like 50. Okay. Through ASCAP? ASCAP. Yeah. yeah, but it's a one-time thing. You yeah. get your writer number, and then that's literally tied to everything that you sell from mm-hmm. then on out. And that's how they track royalties. Right. So step one, PRO. Actually, no. Step one would be catalog music. You got to have music. (laughs) Step two is PRO. Okay. Uh, Step three is, I would suggest, uh, pay to play for people just starting out. If you don't have any other way in, if you don't know anybody that is either an agent or works with an agency, Mm -hmm. pay to play. And then, you know, if you write good music and you sell some stuff, you're just going to start building your network from there. Right. Um, I'm absolutely certain that's not the only way to do it, but that's (laughs) how I know how to do it based on my direct experience. Well, that's fair enough. I think that's a uh, that's that's sound advice. Uh, okay, so uh, I asked this for most musicians as well. Is like, what's a weakness in your in your playing, or it could be in your writing, or however, whatever it is, a weakness that you've overcome in the past, or a or that you're working on currently. And I give my example is like my left hand sucks. So I always run, I'll try to run scales with my left hand, try to get it going and fired up. Uh, and it can be in anything. It can be in production. It could be in 
beats, whatever it is, like what a weakness that you've overcome in the past or currently working on? Uh, I would say the biggest is mixing. Mixing. Um, you can see. Well, you can't see because we're on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> mixing. Um, most of the pieces I create are, you know, dozens and dozens of tracks. It's a lot of information to manage. Um, and what I used to do is just build, 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 worry about mixing later. Mm. And then you have another huge job just mixing. Yeah, so totally. anybody that's mixed anything knows you work on something long enough, it all sounds the same. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not you, like, mix for an hour and take a break. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's too much. Yeah. Um, so one thing I've learned to do is use reference tracks like crazy. Mm. So I'll go listen to something on YouTube and then I'll flip over to my mix and go, what does my mix sound like in relationship to that? And basically kind of sculpt from there. And that's one of the biggest weaknesses I've overcome over the years is getting a proper balance. And I mean, if you look at anything, anybody that works on a computer, you have so many plugins. Mm. Which one do you pick? Right. Why do you pick that? How do you make that work with everything else? Mm. And, uh, Unfortunately, there's no textbook. There aren't any, like, super solid rules. Of course, there's general rules. Mm. Okay, before we listen to music... It all comes down to practice and compare. And for years, my mixing was subpar. It was okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, like, so bad that I couldn't get work. I got work. But right. my mixes now, compared to two, three years ago even, mm. it's, it's a world apart. And it all just came down to, um, you know, I'll sit here and work on the big monitors... And I'll kind of sketch everything out. I'll get, you know, that sounds all right. The bass is where it needs to be. The highs are kind of where it needs to be. Then I'll put on a nice set of headphones, and that'll tell me if I got too much bass, if I've got too much highs. I'll mix that out a little bit. And then when I think it sounds good, I'll listen on the shittiest thing I have. Yeah. I have, like, a dollar store or a pair of dollar store earbuds. Yeah. And if I can make it sound good on the dollar store earbuds, boom, I'm done. Done, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was really hard because for a long time I thought, oh, I know what I'm doing, you know, because I had an engineering background. I knew what compressors and limiters did, and mm-hmm. I knew how to EQ drums, but I didn't know how to make everything work together. And I certainly didn't know how to get, like, that polished finished sound. Mm-hmm. I always attributed it to, well, it's a nicer studio, and they're on SSL boards, and they're yeah. using Genelac monitors, you know. Right, right. That's bullshit. It was really just I didn't put the time in, and I wasn't really, really listening to things critically. Yeah. So, um, but for me, it was a matter of like survival at that point, because I think what happened, I had made the jump into doing movie trailers and I was working on big orchestral pieces and I had spent, I had a really nice 68 Mustang that I bought when I was like 20 and I repaired, you know, every ground up, it was done. And I had to sell that to buy a computer and to buy the software and all of the things required to get into doing movie trailers. Mm. And I was met with, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Send it to me when it's mixed. And I'm like, what do you mean send it to you when it's mixed? <laughs> like, this is done. This is like two weeks worth of work. Yeah. So at that point, you can live in denial and go, no, they're dumb. Yeah. Or you can go, really, what, what's wrong with this? Mm-hmm. So I sat down for a couple of days just listening to like Hans Zimmer and Alan Silvestri and God, you name it. Right. Every movie trailer, every big, you know blockbuster hit their soundtracks and i was like oh yeah wow way too much bass here mm-hmm. oh god these violins sound like horse shit but i was looking at it like through the scope of here's this piece of music i made wow isn't it great yeah sounds awesome to me right. but i wasn't looking at it through the lens of compare that to everything else that's been used over the last 15 years mm-hmm. 
So that's really what forced me to sit down and do the comparative mixing. This, you know, Hans Zimmer piece sounds like this. Mine sounds like this. Go in and start cutting shit. Yeah. EQ, balance. Um, and then, of course, that translates into, like, the hip-hop and the pop side of things and the rock stuff. You know, because I always like bass. Bass is awesome. You can yeah. feel it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Feel yeah. that rumble. Hell, yeah. But the problem is you send that out to somebody that listens to things that are mixed for film. They're like, dude, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're crowding out the rest of the soundscape, like right. the sound effects. And are you mixing walking. on a Bluetooth speaker? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, um, yeah, that was one of the probably bigger things, I think, overall that I had to overcome because there was the part of me that was fighting it, like, no, my mixes are fine. Right. And then there was the part of me that was like, fuck, I have to relearn how to do what I thought I knew. Yeah. And there's no, like, there's no textbook. Mm. Oh, you're mixing an orchestral piece here's what you do yeah here's where you start no it doesn't work like that so it was daunting and it was scary but i knew it was necessary and i really didn't want to go back to a factory so i mean motivation's a hell of a thing you know what i mean well yeah you have a kid so you know exactly (laughs) what i know exactly what you mean and that's why i'm a box jockey right now but it you know what's the cool thing about learning about working for yourself and like taking that step is that it gives you a, the confidence to know that it's like, yeah, I'm not doing that now, but I've been able to do it. I have the ability to do it, and I know I'm going to be able to do it in the future. So, like, I'm doing this because, well, I'm new to town. I don't know anybody here, and, like, I don't – I never built, like, a licensing catalog or anything like that. And, I, and frankly, my brain doesn't really work like that for creating music and, like, in, like, fucking mass, you know. Like, I have an idea, and I kind of work off that. I'm good at doing it in my own stuff, but mm-hmm. like just going in and just making a song that sounds like that sounds like you know it, it doesn't interest me, and it's like I'm I'm gonna lose steam in it. So yeah, I it just to me I love the idea. I love that people do. I love that you do it, and it's just not something I want to do. You know yeah. So, but I'm in a new market, and like I don't know anybody really. I used to know everybody, but now I don't know anybody. Well, I'd say this is one hell of a networking tool. I mean, you get to meet really cool people. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I I, I got I get to meet fucking Grammy winners and fucking people who record labels and I talked to this cat who played bass on like fucking uh, Doggy Style and like fucking Warren G's album. Wow. And fuck it, you know, like and he just lives in Detroit, just doing his thing. You know, just hangs out and just makes music up. Well, there. and here's the thing too: is like there are undiscovered markets. Like just you being a networking tool, just being someone who knows everyone. Mm. Yeah. Connections are worth everything, yeah. especially in music. Connections mm. and credits, man. Yeah. Like, you can definitely Fucking put that credits. to use. Goddamn credits. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 I know. I, yeah, I work I, with... It, it, it's, 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 it's frustrating because my our trajectory in San Diego was um, was that, you know? Like, that was my trajectory personally. I mean, for my wife, it was a different thing. But she wasn't happy and, like, whatever. Like, we had to... She wanted to move on and that's fine. We're here. But that was my trajectory out there. Um, I'm just coming off bitter now. Um, yeah. So, whatever. It's just, I'm box jockeying and fucking, but I know that I have the ability to go out and figure shit out and, like, work through shit. So, absolutely. It's fine. And, you know, I know, moving to a new place presents new opportunities that might not present themselves for a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> for sure. And that's kind of how I had, I've had to, like, force myself to think about it. Because, I, like, I had to force myself to think about it like that because when, the idea of moving back to this region of the country 
like when she was proposing at first it was just fought and like until we left it was fought and fought and fought but um you either go into it like in this negative like i'm I'm fucking just gonna go back there and just be a failure or i'm gonna go back there and you know how to do this shit fucking it's time to just go out there start meeting people talk to people use your fucking podcast that you fucking have built up over the last couple of years and start meeting people and, or just put out Cra- Craigslist ad or whatever it is, you know, and, and I'm wading through the crazy, but I'm finding my place. Right? Yeah. And so, you'll get there. And the thing is too, I remember like coming here from going to Ohio state, like what the fuck, <laughs> what am I going to do? You know yeah. what I mean? But then that's when I found the whole, like the music stuff. Yeah. Cause for me, it was like, it's always going to be a hobby. It's going to be a back pocket, like mm. just something I do for fun. Yeah. So you might stumble upon something here that you're like, shit, had I not moved to this place, right? I never would have done this. And that's always been my life. Like it's always been like where, how I've ended up. It's like wherever I end up is kind of like where I really take off from. And like, that's always been my leaping point. So connections i made here for just a little bit is connections i have in the past you know you know what i'm talking about yeah where, for sure you, when you have emails from 10 years ago guy i remember working with you 10 years ago you got something for this it kind of all works out in that way for me so i know it's on the, i know it's gonna work out here it's just like it was just a big blow to my ego yeah <laughs> to like go back to the place that you fucking escaped from and fucking like and like had no intentions of ever coming back. Mm-hmm. But here I am, and it's well, I, it's a lesson in mindset too. It is. It is. I'm not sure if you're into meditation. I am. I'm a huge mindfulness. Yes. And shit. Yes. I've been fucking just. <clears throat> I quit drinking five years ago, and um, what came after not drinking was like a lot of bad shit was going on in my my life. Well, not bad shit. Like my wife got pregnant. Was that five years ago? Four Not years if you ago. have a one-year-old son. No, the you're math right. doesn't add up. Yeah, you're right. No, no. Um, well, he's four now. I'm messing with you. No, no, but he's four. Oh, okay. But, yeah, okay, it does add up because it has been five years. So, like, I, I got sober, and then, like, a couple months later, my dad's dying. My wife gets knocked up. I realize I'm going bald, and, <laughs> like, and I'm 30, and, like, I, had, I didn't have a career in what I wanted. I wasn't doing anything. And go figure, as soon as I quit drinking, I get a music career. Um, but it, it was, um, what came after not drinking was all these, like, fucking uh, crazy emotions that I was running away from for the last 20 years, mm-hmm. however long I've been abusing drugs and alcohol. And so meditation, mindfulness, um, that came a big part of it. I'm working out just because of all this crazy frenetic energy I have to get out of my system yeah. physically. Yeah, so I'm familiar with it, and I, I have to, or else I'll just be fucking, like, raging out or, like, sad or whatever it is, you know? It's just, uh, how do you practice? Uh, so, first 20 minutes of my morning is meditation. Oh, tight. Yeah. So, you w- what time do you usually wake up? About 6.30. Oh, okay. And then about 6.55, that's usually when we start moving. Okay. So, yeah. first thing in the morning, before I let the dogs out, before I make coffee... It's just kind of like, oh, you're here. Don't forget, you're not your mind. Okay. That's, for me, the biggest part. Cause so you were saying, will you just lay down in bed and just be like, that's where you're at? Yeah. You sort of just... Yep. A lot of people say, oh, you got to sit, you know, with your legs crossed and you have to have candles lit. And, you know, you have to sit with your spine straight. Yeah. No, 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 it's really not about that. It's not about that for me at all. Um, many people, like you, like you were just describing exactly, like, 
I'm not where I want to be. I'm not doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. This is my life situation. And people identify with that. And they're like, this is who I am. Yeah. Forgetting that's not who you are. Right. You're the part that sees that. <laughs> and that's really how it's, how you get buried and you get consumed mm-hmm. because you just get stuck in the mind. And the mind feeds emotion. The emotions feed the mind. And it's just it's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, totally, and for the most part, I was also very unhappy for a large part of my life because for the same reasons you you know, we're unhappy, not doing what you want. Life situation kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, and for me, there wasn't really like a, well, let's move. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, it was kind of like, you kind of have to sit down and just figure out how to make yourself happy. Yeah. Not even, it's not even make yourself happy. It's like, once you realize you're not your mind, it's, that is the, that is the happy. That's the joy. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think the biggest realization that I've come to over the last, like, three years, I meet a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm stuck in Ohio, and Toledo sucks, and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I can't judge or criticize because I, for a while, was in the same boat mm-hmm. until I was mindful and I was able to realize I'm the consciousness, not the mind. But I fear for those people because I know people that have, like, oh, I'm moving to Colorado. Oh, I'm moving to California. I'm moving to Florida. Mm, but you're taking your mind with you. Yeah. You're not gonna be happy anywhere. Your your, your problems follow you, bro. It's like Absolutely, it's not, it's not gonna go it's, into a new place. Is not gonna give you it's a not new the place, new mindset. Yeah. It, so it helps. I mean, definitely vitamin D and sunshine and oh, fucking barbecues and you know beaches and stuff. That was awesome. And what that opportunity afforded me. And I wish I would have took more advantage of it, but whatever like well that is the one thing that i struggle with still is like the opportunities missed not living in new york or nashville mm-hmm. or la the, i could definitely be more successful and be doing bigger and better things if i lived there mm-hmm. but at the same time i don't think i'd be any happier yeah yeah i mean shit you get to come down here and just like play all day i get to make music and hang out with dogs all day <laughs> yeah. and at lunch i get to go play with rc cars or <laughs> you know whatever yeah um i'm not rich by monetary standards, I'm rich in the sense that I love what I do, my house is happy, yeah. and yeah. Well, I mean, what else can you ask for? I think that's a beautiful way to end it. Perfect. <laughs> All right, let's listen to some music then. Okay, I'm done. Because I only showed you this one dumb piece of shit that's not even done. Uh, yeah, let's see. I wish this was...
Sí, sí.